0: Hello, and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhouse podcast. That's right. My name is Shmuel Tenenhouse, and this is my very own podcast. As you know, although this is a passion of mine, I do make big bucks from corporate sponsors. And uh, today, I want to thank the fine people at uh, Xfinity Comcast. Uh, Here's an ad read from uh, Xfinity, and thank you guys for sponsoring. My friends, it's January, a new year. The fine folks at Xfinity are wishing you a happy new year. They also want you to know that they are the only internet option in your city, so they actually don't have to or need to work hard to earn your business. If you want to call them, so be it. But they're not going to answer. You know why? Because they are not afraid of being canceled. FYI, they also wanted to let you know that they will be increasing rates every couple of months, try to hide them under some sort of uh, ambiguous tax charge. And if there is ever an issue with your internet, they will try to upsell you on getting a better router. If the internet is down, that kind of sucks and no they will not issue any sort of refund or discount for the inconvenience because they're a monopoly where else are you going to get internet in your neighborhood so stay safe and as a special one time promotion when you are trying to cancel your internet or pretend to cancel and getting a better deal somewhere else we know you're not going somewhere else try using coupon code dushmul 10 house podcast and uh, we'll keep it a surprise. You'll see what happens. Oh well. Um, so now we are going to officially begin the non-sponsored part of this podcast. I had a good fortune, as always, lots of good fortunate things, of taking a tour of somebody building a huge chabad house, and he's taking me through all this. And this is going to be the nursery, and this is going to be the snoozel room. I never knew there was something called a snoozel. It's kind of like a lanai, but it's in a building. Now, I asked him at the end, sir, rabbi, did you uh, have a nursing room for women if they need to nurse? And he said, no, they did not. So I told him, hey, listen, if you put in your nursing room, you will really have the opportunity to milk your supporters for additional cash for this building. So there is a big uh, debate that I invented in my head, but I think it's a raging one, maybe in the minds of many, and I'm just brave enough to talk about. And that is, when you finally get it, your stuff together uh, to host a meal at your house, and you're stressing over it for a couple of days, and then you decide, you know what, we don't host that often. Let's have a bunch of couples. The question is, when you do such a large meal... Can you realistically expect that each one of the couples or families that you invite now owes you a meal? See, if you, you know, everybody agrees if you have just one family or two families over, that at some point in time, I would think within 6 to 12 months, they better invite you over or else that invitation will not be extended the next year. But the question is again, if you host a lot of people, is that a strategy maybe you host 6 couples and then for the next 6 weeks you're good? Or you just say, hey, listen, you know, the type of meal when you host six people, you're just putting out like a tray of chicken, a tray of rice, and it's kind of buffet style. You say, hey, you know, first come, first serve. And so maybe that's not good enough as a meal to expect that somebody from there is going to invite you back. Or another way to think about it is potentially when they do reciprocate finally, because you're giving them looks whenever you see them. Or when you see them shopping the grocery, you say, hey, maybe you should add another chicken to your shopping cart because there's a lot of people who have had you over in the past and have yet to uh, to be invited in your house. Why don't I just put a bunch of items in your shopping cart? So the other thing is, again, if they do want to reciprocate, maybe the only way for them to do it is if they invite you to a meal where they are having six couples. So basically, if you have a small intimate meal, then you get invited back to a small intimate meal. If you have a large meal with a lot of people and there's kind of a trough on the table, then that's the type of meal you get invited back to. I mentioned earlier that our shul got a new fancy coffee machine. And to my delight, uh, somebody was in front of me while I was impatiently waiting behind him for my caffeine fix, and the machine did not work for him. And I explained to him that there is a QR code that you get for the fancy coffee machine. And that is tied to your show membership. If you pay your membership and your dues, you get a QR code. If not, you have to get from the regular coffee. And it's not bad. The other coffee is brewed. But there are certain perks in the show. Now, the show also now configured this coffee machine that if somebody had outstanding pledges that they didn't pay, They get a really nasty coffee, like the sludge from the back of the machine, and that is what they get. Um, Now, I mentioned in a previous podcast about uh, the possibility of me going camping. With gratitude to God, I will say that that did not occur. There was a rainout, and the reason why there was a rainout is because I, Shmuel Tenenhouse, the Shmuel Tenenhouse podcast, was channeling Magol. And this there was no rain, and he created a rain circle. And he said, hey, I'm not leaving the circle, God, until it starts raining. That's pretty much what I did because I was really, really not interested in going camping. And, you know, I love my spouse. Everybody knows that, and my family. My wife says, we got to go because our friends are going. Now, I say, if your friends are going camping— It's time to look for a new set of friends, like friends that go to a hotel or they do something indoors. I'm looking for indoor friends. Now, there was a time where I came across some people, no names need to be mentioned, and they were very engaged in watching Project Runway. And this is like a reality show where people have to design clothing. And uh, they look for people with kind of on the edge with, you know, very intense emotional issues, and they give them challenges so they could push them right over the edge and capture everything on camera because it makes for great television. And it's not just Project Runway. I have to say it's really every reality show that I see. So what happens is the judges are there, and one person gets eliminated which I cannot even imagine how much of a blow that is to somebody's self-esteem because they're like, everybody, whoever gets immunity or whoever is safe gets to stay here on this island. And tonight, we're having famous people coming over and delicious food is going to be served. And you guys still have hope in life. However, one of you is not going to make it. Now, as soon as we say you're not going to make it, uh, we're going to have to strip you from whatever clothing you have on. So you're just now standing there and in your underwear, and we're going to throw a towel over you. So it's a terrible experience. We're also going to take you off this island immediately. And uh, we're just going to... The car is not going to have any air conditioning because you lost, and, you know... Air conditioning is for people who advance to the next level and we really want to humiliate you. So please get, we can't even stand looking at you. Please, everyone, put on these blindfolds while this loser of a person gets taken. Let's, let's tie him up, you know, bind his legs, and let's, let's ship him off. Let's just throw him in the river that's closest to the studio. Nobody's going to miss him anyways because his family just watched him get humiliated and uh, kicked off the show. I was at another briss, and it's almost like a weekly thing. Actually, I was at two brisom last week. Um, and one of the brissim I was by, you know, even though I'm anti-gift, what happened was my wife, when the baby was born, gave a gift. Now, we showed up at the bris, we were not packing a gift. Me, because I'm anti-gift, except if I'm on the receiving end. And my wife, because she had already given a gift. Now, what happens is there are people at the actual bris who are giving gifts because, you know, it's, it's an occasion, they're giving a gift. The thing is, we gave a gift, but now we look like grifters because we didn't show up with a gift. So, I just wanted to walk around to anybody who was writing a check, who was holding something to say, hey, just so you know, we gave a gift right when the baby was born. So yet we don't have to publicize it and like walk in with a wrapped gift to show how nice of people we are because we were considerate. We gave it right when the baby was born. We didn't feel that you had to put out the spread to be able to give you a gift. I also wanted to go over to the parents of the child and to remind them, hey, it may also seem that me and my kids are roaming around here, you know, tasting one thing and then just being done with it. And you're like, wait a second, like you guys are overeating compared to what we're paying per head. And I'm like, I want to tell them, hey, listen, my wife sent you something way back, you know, when the baby was born. So that should qualify that we're all here and having a good time and you shouldn't have to bring two gifts, one when the baby is born and one immediately after the breast. So uh, now we're going to shift gears now talking about a very painful topic in the Jewish community and particularly in my in my head, and that is winter break. Because the reason why it's called winter break is because during the winter— you now have to break your bank account. If there's anything even there other than just an echo because of the vast void of was, of, of what was there, and now it's empty. Now, I do think that it is a little ridiculous that some schools... Uh, you know, the people who are on the uh, tuition committee, if, you know, if you want to get tuition assistance. So they, during winter break, they hang out at the airport because they want to see, hey, if you're going to ask for a tuition discount in 2025, well, we just saw you board a plane to Colorado and you're holding skis. So, so what's going on here? So, I understand that the school would be curious to ask. And by the way, this is not where we send our kids. Chas This is not even in this state. This school. But yes, people are casing the airport, um, and just checking where families are going. I even know families that uh, are going. They have a, a pair of fake tickets to a really cheap place to go on vacation, and you know they they pass the gate, and then when the tuition committee can't see where they're going, they go to Costa Rica or somewhere much more expensive. Now, there is something that I do enjoy during winter break. And these next two words or the two words that are coming up is probably considered, you know, like a lunch, uh, uh, oh, sorry, not a lunch, a a love language for some of the men in particular. And those two words are free activities. Free activities, that means we are doing an activity now and no money gets spent, zero. And that could be anything. We could bring a nail clipper on the trip and for now, for the next two, three hours, everybody's cutting their nails together as a family, families that cut their nails together, they, they just have a, you know, they, they get along a lot better. We're also going to look in the sky, and it's called bird watching. Or we can go look at the pond. That's called whale watching. And sometimes people will pay thousands of dollars just because we're getting it for free doesn't mean that it's a bad activity. I do have an issue that when I Googled free activities – Google said, uh, do you want to know the synagogues that are in your vicinity? And I do think that's a little of a stretch for Google to assume that I'm Jewish and I need a synagogue just because I'm searching for the keywords, free activities. Now, for people going on vacation, the one thing that I require to go And if they do not have this in an Airbnb or in a hotel or anywhere under the roof where I'm staying, I will never go. And that is a pool table. A a pool table is such a large, colossal waste of space for a sport that nobody really plays except for Tom Tom Cruise in that movie – Try to remember what it's called. And there are stripe balls, there are solids, there's chalk, and it's pretty much a piece of furniture like a grand piano. I just enjoy that inefficiency of space where somebody said, hey, we have a whole room here. How do we just destroy it, but at the same time, pretend that it's a sophisticated room? And then they say, aha, Let's pull put in a pool table. Anyways, bottom line is, I will go nowhere. If there's not, even if somebody says, "Hey, you want to stay at my house for Shabbos?", I'll say, "Do you have a pool table?" If they say no, it's off the pool table. No pun intended. Now, um, let's let's address the Dolphins fans. So I do have a strategy for everyone. If you're a Dolphins fan, like, how do you live a joyful life? while at the same time balancing that with being a Miami Dolphins fan. So this is something we've implemented in our household, and that is you don't watch the entire game because you know they're going to lose when the game is over. Like by the time the game is over, they will lose. So what you do is the moment the Dolphins have the lead, which is not every game, but if they do have the lead, you immediately shut it off. You take some melatonin, uh, and then – You go to sleep regardless of what time it is because when you do that, that means as a Dolphins fan, you went to sleep as a winner, right? They're up. You went to bed feeling great. And you don't have to be like everybody else down here who waits for the full game, for the Dolphins to to lose and take a beating, and then you feel like trash the next day. So my suggestion is for everybody, if you're a Dolphins fan, if they get a lead or they have any points on the board... You immediately shut it off. You you had a good run. It's a good game. The dolphins are up right now. Let's go to sleep. Uh, I want to opine now for a minute on cats. I think cats is the equivalent of marriage and childbirth where nobody really warns you about it until it's too late or until you're in the midst of it. And the reason is very simple because you need the continuity of the species. So, for example, if people would tell you, hey, dude, let me, let me level with you. This is what marriage is really like. Obviously, nobody would ever get married again. Let's be, let's be honest. If somebody was speaking to people honestly. And the same thing if a woman would tell people like, hey, this is what it's like to have a baby. Also, we would have no generations to come. And so I feel the same way with having a cat. If people who had cats would tell people without cats what it's like to own a cat, the cat species would never go on. And the reality is that cats uh, are basically, if you have a cat in your house, it's like having uh, the combination of Batman and Spider-Man and that claw at your furniture And they look at you with such contempt, and that is because you as a human have one life. They know they have nine. They have 9x the lives that you have. Now, I'm also starting to realize that cats are most suitable for people who live alone. And here's why. Because the number one most annoying of the species are humans. Let's face it. Now, somebody who's living alone could handle being annoyed by a cat because at least it's not a human. But if you're a human and you have other annoying humans around you to bring in a cat, that's just too much to handle. Now, uh, I do want to say, again, this was obviously not our family, but I do know of a family that had cats. They gave the cats back. And when you, the way it works is, the process, and this is shocking, when you return a cat to the Humane Society, uh, what they require you to do is you have to sit in a shame room for 15 minutes where the employees of the Humane Society come in, and they'll give you dagger eyes, and they will say, it's unbelievable, there's 50 million households in the United States who have cats, and you guys could only manage for a couple of months. And they also affix affix a pin to your lapel that says, terrible cat parent. Or there's another alternative. You could just get a pin that says, failure. And they require you to wear it for three weeks. Otherwise, they won't let you give the cats back. So it is kind of a trade-off. But if you really don't want them, that's the way to do it. Now, everybody knows that Florida is the greatest state in, in the universe, and even compared compared to other planets, I think Florida is up there, and that's because of our governor Ron DeSantis. Before Ron DeSantis was the governor, Florida had had nothing going. It was freezing here. Uh, people are like, oh, the weather in Florida is so nice, and we come here for the winter for vacation. Of course, Ron DeSantis brought the warm weather with us. When I was growing up as a kid, Ron wasn't the wasn't the governor, so there was ice storms always. I remember two three f- feet of snow. Uh, as a child, just sho- shoveling shoveling my driveway. Now, you know, just to make people jealous ha- how, how nice it is to have Ron DeSantis as, as a governor. Forget about step up in school. When you go to your school, the government actually comes to your school to make lunch and snacks for your children. Ron DeSantis was actually at my nephew's school and he was making an omelet in the morning. And he said, hey, Jewish child, what do you want in your omelet? you want mushrooms? Do you want, you want onions? This is a hospitable state and friendly state for Jewish people, as I just demonstrated by the above anecdote. Now, um, let's see if I could find the page here. But there was a time in the Shmuel Tenenhouse po- podcast where I would read from a self-help book. And I would like to reclaim that tradition because this is my podcast. And I'm going to read to you a little from the base Halevi, who was the father, the patriarch of the Brisker dynasty. He lived in the 19th century. And a small book just came out in English called Meimer Habitachen of the Base Halevi. Now, as you can imagine... I bought myself the travel version because it was a couple dollars less than the regular version, but now it's costing me more money to have the travel version because to read anything, you have to buy a very expensive magnifying glass basically from NASA. So the money that I saved now is going to equipment to read the tiny print on this travel size. So here we go on page 54 the inverse relationship between relying on Hashem and having to toil for one's need. This too a person should understand that as he lessens his business dealings and strengthens himself in his betachen, so will his need for exertion be lessened, as Hashem will prepare his needs for him through an easy and clean trade. On the other hand, the more a person increases his, istad, his stadlos which is effort, and plunges into those efforts and makes them primary in his mind, correspondingly Hashem provides his livelihood for him only after he exerts much effort. Anyways, a beautiful teaching, um, and one that it would be great if all of us could take to heart. It's been a little of a personal update. We're over the last couple of months. This is during um, you know Black Friday, Cyber Monday hype, when you could almost get arrested in this country for not shopping. I bought myself a couple new pairs of sweatpants. I didn't throw the old ones out. They mean too much to me. And I showed them to my wife while I'm wearing them. And my wife says, you can't go outside like that. And I say, why not? She says, because they look like hospital pants. And I immediately asked her, does it look like I'm the patient or I'm the doctor? Because if I'm the surgeon and the doctor, you know, that's a good look. That's a respectable profession. Now I get if I'm the patient, it looks like, I, some, I somehow escaped, but I, I need some more specific feedback. By the way, I am wearing them right now as I record this show. Um, I also had a mustache mishap, which means I trim my mustache. And uh, that's because it grows very, very long. And you know to the point where there could be dreadlocks growing from on top of my chin. And who wants that? Uh, so what happened was I was trimming it, but I didn't realize that the piece that goes on the trimmer that kind of makes it a number two or a number three was completely off. And so I had a couple of holes on top of my chin and nobody noticed. And the good news is the rate at which my mustache grows, it took about five, 10 minutes for those holes to be populated now with more thick chunks of mustache hair. One thing I will say is if you see your spouse, you know, scrolling through toupee videos on Instagram, and they're constantly tagging you in those videos or sharing them with you or saying, Hey, check out this video. What do you think? It probably means they want you to get a toupee. And today, Baruch Hashem, you can do pay with four and, or, you know, buy now, pay later, you get the two pay and then you can pay, you pay for it uh, over, over a period of time. Um, But it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it right now. We don't, it's not, it's not in the budget. Potentially, if we can get a pool table and flip it for more money, then, then we're going to make it happen. Finally, I want to get into a <clears throat> semi-serious topic, and that is about shalom bias. Uh, tranquility in the home, and uh, as I might have shared in the past with you, not here, but in person, one time I did comedy, and, I, you know, I I have shalom zayas, which means that The Shalom bias is so small, it is the size of a Zayas, the size of an olive. So people say, How's your Shalom bias? And you're like, "Eh, Shalom bias? Eh. But Shalom Zayas, killing it. So I one time asked somebody that I didn't really know, you know, how is it that he is able to achieve Shalom bias in his home? And he told me that Shalom bias is not a real concept. It is more like Mashiach, like. It is something that doesn't exist today. It's not in the realm of possibility. But it, it, it refers to a state where one day, just like the wolf shall lie with the lamb, the husband and the wife will get together. And I think this person is completely incorrect. I do think Sean Bias is fact that it actually does exist um, not that we have to believe that one day shalom bias could come. Um, like animame shalema, hina That's not it. Shalom bias is legit. And I actually have a couple of tips that I guarantee you will work if the husband, and I'm gonna put it all on the husband right now, because we all know it's the husband's responsibility and his faults, which are leading to nonchalant bias. So first thing you have to do is, as a husband, you have to be able to graciously accept that there is a double standard. Now you're gonna start asking, oh, what does that mean? I told you, you wanna have a good marriage, there's a double standard, I don't have to get into it, it's your wife, you have to respect her, there's a double standard. Does she have to respect you? It's, it's, we do have to get involved with what she has to do. You have to be a great husband. The second thing is, that's just an intro. The second thing is that I'm going to teach you a mantra that if you say it to your wife a few times a day, call me up and tell me how well your marriage has improved. So you go like this. You have to tell her when she is looking at you or when you have her full attention. That her, I I, I mean, your wife. It goes like this. You have to say like this. Honey, you are right. I, your husband, I am wrong. Your way is the right way. My ways are the wrong ways. Trust me, try this a couple of times and you will have a much better, better marriage. And you don't have to fake it because that's probably the truth. Her way is better than your way. And you just have to communicate it clearly. Just these couple of words that I mentioned a few times a day, things we'll turn around for you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this week's edition of the Shmuel Ten House Podcast.